Hey, Jason. How's it going, man? Good, Adam. How are you? Really doing great. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to uh, be on the show. Happy so, to be here. I know like we've chatted briefly. I know you've listened to like the episode that we did with David a, a while back. Generally, the, the theme of this show is Ben and I are both kind of come from a developer background. We like making stuff and we make stuff and eventually it kind of takes on a bit of a life of its own and you can't do it by yourself anymore, you know, and you got and it turns into something bigger. And making that work involves learning a whole host of new skills that I don't think you anticipate or are prepared for a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, we're doing this show just as a way to sort of talk through some of the challenges that we face and, and get input from, from people we really look up to that, uh, we've learned a lot from in the past, um, like yourself to just sort of like help people like us, uh, who are on this journey, sort of, you know, get better at what we're doing and, and sort of get the outcomes that we're looking for. And, and, and candidly, like really distill it down to one sentence is just like, create a life for ourselves that that we actually like because i think the common thread uh is that running a business it's it's really hard to accidentally get pulled into a life that isn't actually making you happy or giving you what you wanted out of it in the first place it feels like you really have to fight for it sometimes um does that resonate at all like that yeah i i do think that's pretty accurate in most cases um uh there's always struggles and, and whatnot, but I, I think um, a lot of those struggles are, are self-imposed. Not that business is ever really going to be easy, but I think a lot of people make things hard on themselves in ways that they don't have to. Mm-hmm. And with that, then they're kind of stuck with with the outcome of, of that. And they weave all this complexity into their business and their life. And then, then they just feel like, well, this is just how it is. So I, I'm not suggesting here that it should be easy, but I think it could be a lot easier for a lot more people if they didn't make things hard on themselves. Cool. Well, there's a couple topics I'd like to get into with you today um, where maybe you could help me make my life a bit easier. <laughs> so I'll try. The thing that um, that comes up a lot when Ben and I are talking about this stuff, and at least on my side, that I, I really struggle with and I'd really like to learn more from you about is just hiring. You know, I've, we're getting into a phase right now coming up in the next couple months where we need to hire a couple people to replace some people who have left and um, just to try and figure out how to build a a team that can accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. And, and on the surface, it feels like it shouldn't be that hard, but um, when you get into it and the rubber hits the road, it's, it's a lot harder than I think I expected it to be. And there's a lot of, I, I don't know if I would call it mistakes, but just like painful lessons from like previous hires that didn't really go well that candidly like have instilled a lot of fear in me around hiring Mm -hmm. so i'd love to know like just from your end just to start somewhere like how do you know when it's time to hire someone new at base camp or at 37 signals now yeah uh typically it's um after you already should have hired them so the idea is is we hire when it hurts is essentially the way you like to put it which is um we don't try to hire in anticipation of needing somebody, but we mm-hmm. hire after we've clearly needed somebody and we should have had someone three months ago. Um, not always. There's some situations where we hire for a brand new role we've never had before. But for the most part, someone's already tried to do something or someone was already in that role prior to us to us bringing someone on. So I think a mistake, I'm not suggesting this is the mistake you made, but mm-hmm. a mistake a number of people make is they anticipate what they think they're going to need 
and they feel like they're going to hire, let's hire three product teams at once, you know, to do this thing. It's like, do you need that many people at once? You know, uh, why, why not just hire like one or two people and see what you can get done with that? And, or, or, you know, they hire a creative director and a designer and a front end engineer. And it's like, whoa, how about finding one person who can do those three things? Sure. Uh, I know those people are hard to find, but they exist. And I think you'll make a lot more progress actually with one versus three in yeah. roles like that. So again, I don't, I don't know what your situation is, but we, we're always looking for people who are able to do more than one thing. Um, so, you know, if we're hiring a designer, our designers write all their own HTML, write their own CSS. We don't have a separate front end group of people who do that. That helps us make a lot more progress. It becomes harder to find some of those people, but ultimately when you do find the right person, you're making far more progress with one than two. And yeah. uh, that's sort of what we're always aiming for. Yeah. So I have a, so questions around that specifically, because that's something I, I think about a lot on our team. I, I kind of find that as someone who's like the person who started the business, you're used to doing a million different things. You're used to doing some copywriting, some design, some engineering, some customer support, some bookkeeping, whatever. Right. And, and I almost feel like sometimes it's hard to know what's, what's fair to lump together and expect from an, another person that you're bringing on, like how much, how many hats could you, can you expect someone to wear? And yeah. then what are those roles too, especially on a small team? A, a lot of the time, like you're sort of suggesting if you need, if you want to bring on one person that can do like a few different things, it becomes hard to like, like, like an exercise I've been doing lately is trying to sort of just write down every single thing that needs to happen at the company for it to function. And then just trying to figure out where can I like group these things together into like people to take over those things. And a lot of the times, like it doesn't feel like there's a, a traditional or clear um, sort of role that, that surfaces out of that. It's just like, I need someone who can do a bunch of these different things and I don't know what to call it. Um, the example you gave of how the designers at 37 Signals just do a lot more than traditional designers, I think is a, a, a good one where it's, it's a little, I wouldn't say easier, but it's like a good example of like how you can still call it a design role, but there's more to it than just drawing boxes in Figma or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'll give you another example. So we hired, maybe I'll, I'll give you a few examples and we can kind of hone in. It's, it's a hard question to answer, frankly, yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what you need, but it's a good, it's a good question. So a lot of people ask the question to themselves. We hired someone to uh, basically run our books for a long time, for basically 20 years. David and I like did all the books, kind yeah. of. And then we had uh, another person here who sort of kind of did the books, um, but we really needed someone to just, just that's their job to do the books. So he was doing the books. Um, and then we had a data analyst for a while. And his job was We've had a few, but the latest one, his job was to, you know, look at performance numbers, help, help the, help Ron, who was doing the books, do the books and, and, it, you know, uh, look at conversion stuff, look at all, a whole bunch of data. And uh, that data scientist left recently. And what we realized was that instead of hiring a replacement, mm -hmm. what if we gave Ron uh, the books the guy who's doing the books is kind of a CFO, although he's not technically a CFO. He's more of like head of finance. What if we gave him that responsibility? So can we can we group that responsibility, which was not originally his job title, but can he take on some of that versus us replacing the person who left? So that's something we found ourselves doing too, which is not exactly what you're getting at, but sometimes yeah. 
the notion is, is like you lose someone and you want to replace them. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, actually, you don't need to replace them. Can someone else handle some of that that's sort of adjacent to what they kind of do? Mm-hmm. We found that to be a pretty effective way to um, expand roles and expand responsibility versus hiring someone right out of the gate who's supposed to do five different things. That's going to be a hard lift. That's like a chief of staff kind of role, which you don't need at a small company. Sure. So what I would look at is it can be overwhelming. You can, you can, here's the, like you said, here's the nine things our business needs to run, you know? Well, group them tight, more tightly together. What are these, how could some of these roles be very similar? And maybe I could find four people to do those nine things versus nine people do nine things or one person do eight things. You know, so example, like again, the design thing or the data, data and, and accounting, similar skills actually to some degree. And so that, that works out well for us. If, if say Ron was going to leave and you wanted to, needed to find someone to step in and fill his shoes, like, do you have any idea, like how you would look for someone to do that? Would you, would you think of the role differently again? Because it wouldn't be being done by someone who had all that sort of context. I think what we would look at is, is um, we go, look, Ron was able to do this stuff. Yeah. One person is able to do these things. So I think we would look at trying to find someone who can do those things. So his, his role became, let's, let's call it multiple roles. Mm-hmm. And um, we now know it's possible for one person to handle that stuff. He didn't, he, he hasn't left, he's here. But let's just imagine yeah, yeah, he yeah, left. Yeah, 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 he, yeah. he could have <laughs> left because it was overwhelming. Sure. He also could have left for other reasons. If he left for another reason, which is like it wasn't overwhelming, he just wanted to do something else with his life, we could take the, the assumption that it's like this role is possible to do. One person can do this role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would look to replace him, uh, and we look for someone who is slightly more um, more like him versus like what we hired him initially for, which is a much yeah. more tightly scoped role. And this is kind of how a lot of things have evolved here, which is that we tend to find we tend to want to find people who um, can grow horizontally. So you want to find people who can grow vertically too, get better at their craft, sure. but also expand to some degree, and uh, and do more than perhaps they came in initially to do. But I wouldn't really typically look unless you're looking for maybe like a COO style person who can really run five or six different parts of the business. Mm-hmm. But again, like I don't know how big you guys are. Yeah, so we're we're six people, you know yeah. what I mean? So you don't need like you don't need any C level kind of per- people. No, like even the even the people here it feels silly to kind of have those types of titles, you know? Like And you know what? We didn't really have titles early on yeah. either. Like we're just like we need some, we need I mean, we need a programmer because we need another like early days there was four of us, then there was five of us, and there were six of us like need another programmer, need another designer. I didn't really think of it as um, really giving them a title. It was just like we hired a designer and then they just worked on the work that they had to do. And the programmer would write the programs, but they weren't like wearing the programmer hat. It was like, that's obviously just what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't worry too much about titles, although externally it's helpful to attract people that way. But I think the most valuable way to, uh, to, to, to get the right person in is to describe what they would have done over the past yeah. call it 30 days. That's the best way to really have someone go, oh yeah, that's the kind of work I want to do. Yeah, It's not like I'm looking to be this kind of title person, but like, oh, that collection of work? Yeah, yeah, that's my kind of thing. And I yeah. think that's how you'll find great people that way. Yeah, something that I find tricky there is, and 
I don't know, maybe it doesn't, doesn't have to be this tricky, but in just trying to define these roles, sometimes it feels like, ah, there's like a lot of stuff that I'm doing that like I need help with, or maybe like Steve, my business partner is doing a bit of this part and I'm doing a little piece of this part. It'd be kind of nice if we could cut both those things off and maybe one person, um, could do all that sort of stuff. And that's like a, a role that, that we don't have or, um, let's get specific. Can yeah. We, can we get specific? Yeah. 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 Like- yeah. I know it's easier in my head. So like yeah. say, um, for example, uh, one of the things that we make as a company, like we make Tailwind CSS, so CSS framework, and uh, yep. we make commercial like website templates with Tailwind. Yep. And one of the sort of like little cute things that we do with all these templates is we really put a lot of effort into the copy in the templates. So it's not a bunch of lore maps and stuff. We try to make it a really entertaining experience to read through and read through all the FAQs and find some jokes hidden in there and, and yep. stuff like that. And that job falls on my plate traditionally. So. I'm the one doing all the copywriting for for all the templates, but I'm also the one figuring out what features should be in Tailwind and doing, you know, t- tons and tons of other things. It's not a skill that like traditionally has fallen on like our design team, for example. Whereas I kind of feel like in a perfect world, it'd be awesome if the designs kind of came with the copy in in the first place. So, um, but I I wonder like is it fair? to to make that a requirement of like the next designer that we're looking for this person has to have like a great sense of humor and be able to write like an entertaining uh, marketing site or should i solve that problem in a different way should we hire a part-time uh writer who can just like be on a retainer and pitch in when we have these sorts of things like there's so many ways to solve all these problems sometimes that it feels hard to to know like what solution to look for does that make sense this is good it totally does. This is good because um, there's nothing like getting specific. I hear you using the word problem a lot. Is there a problem? Like, is there a problem? Like, yeah, I, I would say do, the pro- do you enjoy writing that kind of copy? Is that something that actually you're really damn good at, really well qualified for, and enjoy? If so, why do you need to find someone else? I do, but it feels like a bottleneck. I, if, if yeah, does that make like it does? I, I, is yeah. it really though? Is it really a bottleneck? I don't know. I, I feel like, like how often, like this is good because th- this is yeah. like how yeah. often are you actually, how often are you actually doing this where like really legitimately things are being slowed down or like things can't get out the door because you can't write a joke or something like, is yeah, it yeah, really yeah. that? Let me, or, let me, let me try and paint a clearer yeah. picture maybe of like okay. the situation. Okay. So we use like a shape up like methodology here we kind of plan things in like basically two months at a time which i found has been super helpful for just sort of batching a lot of prioritization and decision making stuff and then being able to like spend my time doing work mostly instead of trying to find the next thing to like put on someone's plate you know right so that's been huge but um in the past we've tried to like throw maybe two projects into a cycle where one is maybe getting a new release of Tailwind out the door, like Tailwind 3.3 with a couple new features and all the documentation that has to go with that and stuff like that. And then another thing is maybe we want to build a uh, an agency website template that we want to release. And trying to run both those projects in a cycle, I feel like I need to have my hands deep in both of them. And it leads to me being like, pretty superficially involved, not not superficially, but sort of ha- playing a bit more of like a creative director role where I don't really get to get deep in and like get my hands dirty and do real stuff. I'm just doing a lot of review, providing a lot of feedback, steering things in the right direction. And then I'm like writing the docs for the Tailwind stuff because I'm the best qualified person to do that. I'm writing all the copy 
um, for the template. And I just don't find that overall role that fulfilling. I feel like I'm not able to get deep enough into things. I, if I'm going to write the copy for a template, I'd rather be like working with a designer like Steve all day, figuring out the design also doing the copy together and then building it myself too. But if I, if I'm going to be that deep in that, then the new tailwind feature stuff, that stuff, um, can't happen. What I'd love is to somehow unlock a way, like I'm the best person to do the copywriting stuff. I do en enjoy it, but I, a part of me doesn't enjoy it because I feel like crap, there's this other stuff that like, I think I would be enjoying more and yeah, I'm having fun right now, but it's at the expense of not being able to spend time on this other stuff. And if I have to give up one of those two things, I think I'd rather hand over the copywriting to someone so that we can still get both these things moving at the same time and not be like the single threaded company that I kind of feel like we have to be if I want to be able to get deep into things. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Does that yeah. paint a clearer picture? It does. I mean, part of me thinks like you own the place. You're, you need to be in a lot of these things probably, and you're only six people. So I, I think like at six people, um, it's good that you are not over delegating, frankly, because I think it can pretty easily um, lose the spirit. The product can lose the spirit. Uh, yeah. You know. So this is a, one of those tricky ones because I think you should be in these things. Um, look, if you want to hire a copywriter, you certainly can. You can ask people to essentially. But but do we need a copywriter? Probably not a full time copywriter at a team of six. You know. Probably not full. Okay. Right. So you could you could hire a part time copywriter. You could put an audition out there and say like, write uh, here read read what we got. Use this voice. Write me something that I would go. Yeah, I like that. Or ho however you want to do it. But think of it more as an audition. Mm -hmm. And it's a contractor thing. Um, this could also be a place where you could play a little bit with AI if you wanted to to kind of see if it could help you sure. write some stuff faster or whatever. Um, I don't think you're gonna want a full time copywriter though. This is this is the hardest part, which is you've got to make sure there's enough work for somebody yes. to hire them, mm -hmm. right? That's so until there's enough work, I feel like you've either got to do it yourself. You can outsource it, which is never great. I suspect what will happen is, unless you find that right person, and they're out there, because there are a lot of great ghostwriters and people can write, but you're going to probably end up editing so much of the work that they do that it'll be more work for you to edit someone else's work than for you to have written it in the first place. So you got to find that spot where you really feel like I simply can't do this or don't want to do this. And then I would say it's time to move and find someone else who can do it. Um, another thing you could think about, and this is, I don't know if this is the right direction, is just like, do we need this funny copy? Like, does it, is this sure. really part of the product? Uh, is it a part of the product that I like that I think is good? Is it not good? Would it really matter? I, I like that you're doing this, but I, I think it's always worth wondering, like, is that worth doing? If this is something that's sort of holding other things up or I'm feeling frustrated by it, what if we just didn't do that for a little bit? What would happen? Um, I think that's worth looking at as well. Um, yeah. 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 I think there's definitely examples of things like that that we have kind of just like cut, uh, even though there's value because every because time is finite. You know, Everything's you know a trade-off. Um, just trade-offs. It's, tra it's scope cutting. It's trade-offs. It's like, you know, or or is some of the copying some of the places really important, but other copy not so important. Can other people do mm -hmm. that? I, I don't, you know, the, these are really hard uh, questions. They're great questions. They're hard 
from someone on the outside to answer in a sense because it's really a feeling, it's an intuition that you're gonna have to figure out like what's worth it, what isn't worth it, how much of this am I willing and comfortable uh, allowing someone else to do? Is there a situation where there is no one on the planet who I would actually feel comfortable letting them do this? Like that could yeah. be true too. Yeah, There might be some things like that that exist in your business where that you just have to do them no matter what and you should actually find someone to do other things that are easier for them to replicate. Because replicating your voice can be quite hard. I mean, yeah. other companies ha have it, but like in a small company, it might be hard to find someone. So maybe your voice is the really important thing you want to protect, and there's something else that you do that someone else could do. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you can kind of get focused on this one thing that you want to replace, but maybe there's something else that's worth replacing instead or, or bringing someone in yeah. to do instead. Uh -huh. That kind of leads me to another question that I'm kind of curious about your take on. Um, Something I'm thinking a lot about lately is, and I'm curious if this is if this resonates at all, because if it doesn't, then maybe I can discard this whole idea. It's just <laughs> the idea of like hiring people to sort of try and do more versus like hiring people to sort of like claw back like the space that you need to do the things that you want to spend your time on. Does that resonate at all? It does. Uh, yes, it does. Here's been my experience. Um, as a founder, as someone who's deeply involved with what we're doing, just like you are with what you're doing, it is hard to really separate in a sense where you can hire someone to totally replace you in an area. Mm -hmm. I just, you're still gonna be involved and you should still wanna be involved in the important little things. Um, I, there's certain things, for example, David and I did not wanna do the books anymore. Sure. Like, so that's like an easy thing you can sort of slice off and big, the books are over here. Yeah, we do that too. Like that's a big one, you know, like that feels like delegatable for sure. That feels like delegatable. It's a distinct scope of work. It's a distinct uh, category of work. But if it's things like product decisions and taste and quality and copy and some of that stuff's gonna be very hard for you to remove yourself from, and I don't think you probably should. Mm -hmm. So I would look for the things that are much easier to slice off that are actually literally job descriptions that someone else can yeah. do. Uh -huh. um, but I, sometimes you do both. Sometimes you do hire people to do more work. So let's say you've got a set, set like for example, with us, um, we're, we're kind of working on multiple products at once right now, and occasionally we're gonna, we're gonna be building more products next year. We probably need to hire another designer, another programmer to make another product team. Our product teams are two people. Yeah. We'll hire them so we can do more simultaneous work at once. That will not take work off my plate. In fact, in some They'll ways, it might add probably put more work. work on your plate, right? It yeah. might, because I have more work to think about assigning people. I have Brian, who works here, of course, is also in charge of that, and David and I. There's other people who do this, but that might be adding more work to my plate, but actually the work it's adding is minimal compared to the amount of more progress you're able to make. Um, but there are other situations where like you might hire a head of marketing or something. If you do all the marketing, let's say, or whatever, and you want to just like, I don't actually want to think about this stuff as much anymore. Yeah, That's a chunk of work you can then offload to somebody else, but you'll never really fully detach from it. Yeah, Because it's still your company, it's still your voice that you're putting out there. You want to make sure that you look over these things. It's going to be very rare that you're going to be able to fully, completely trust someone else's point of view on how you should be represented in the market. So you'll still be tied to that to some degree. That's just the, it's not a curse, mm -hmm. but I'll use, it's like the curse of the founder. Yeah. 
As long as you're there, the things you've always done, you're going to keep doing unless there are things that you really aren't even good at and shouldn't be doing, like the books. Can you think of any examples at your company where you found ways to take even the things that you care deeply about being involved in, but have somehow found ways to operate on those things in a higher leverage yes. way? Yeah, like I'll tell you, um, like uh, coming up with new work uh, every six weeks. Um, Brian Bailey, who works here, uh, sort of our head of strategy, he's basically fully running Basecamp on his own in terms of deciding what features to build for Basecamp every six weeks. I meet with him, we talk once a week, um, and then when it's time to put these pitches together, we speak a little bit more frequently. But I would say that I'm like five to 10% in on that, where I mm -hmm. used to be all in on that. Yeah. So Brian can run Basecamp, so I can focus on like the Hey Calendar, which is our next big thing, and this, yeah. some of these once products we wanna do. So I've, I'm still doing the same work, I'm just pointing it over in this direction now, and now someone else is able to do the other work that I was doing before. So I'm actually doing the same work, but now two people are doing it. And someone's able to mostly focus on Basecamp, the product, so I can focus on the other product. So that, that's something that's relatively new for us. Do you find that the approach to deciding what stuff to build for Basecamp is different when you hand it off to somebody else versus do you take it on yourself? Like for instance, is it maybe a bit more driven by customer feedback than it is by just like in intuition and excitement around some creative new thing you wanna build for it? Yeah, and I think that at the um, current um, life cycle of Basecamp, it's actually, we're building better software. Yeah. Basecamp is better because I'm not running it actually because Brian is a little bit more in tune with customer um, feedback. He's more embedded with the customer support team. He's doing some interviews. That's not my style. My style yeah. is more the intuitive drive to figure out the new stuff. So now I'll throw in some, some things, like we're working on something next cycle, which is uh, sort of a, a strange idea that I'm like, this is gonna be a good idea, let's do this. Yep. Um, and we had a chat about it and everyone sort of is on board with it. But the majority of the stuff that, not the majority, many of the things that he's choosing are not things I would have chosen. And I actually think the product's better because of it. So, but it depends where the product is in the life cycle. Like, hey, calendar, I'm driving that completely. Um, because hey, calendar needs to be weird and novel and, and intuitively designed to surprise people and to be very, very different from all other calendars that have ever existed, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the things I like, that's the stuff I like to do, so that's where my energy is. Had he been running that, I don't think we'd end up with what we're gonna end up with. But if, if, I was been, if I'd been running Basecamp, we wouldn't be where Basecamp is either, and I yeah. think Basecamp's in a better place. It's just kind of figuring out what people's strengths are, and it's also a matter of timing. Like, in a few months, Brian might get more involved with Hey Calendar again after it's launched, because now we're not in the fill it up with all the novelties up front stage, but more backfilling some of the things we knew we skipped yeah. that are more table stakes that we need to do and that people are- Like what are the objective improvements? You know what I mean? Yes. That, yeah. So it's, it's a matter of timing, uh, talent, timing, um, phase of, of development for a given product. I like to load up new products with lots of novelty mm -hmm. and leave a lot of things on the table that I know we're gonna need that we can eventually do. But if we do those first, then we're just launching a product that's like everyone else's. Yeah. But I know we're gonna have to backfill with some of that stuff later. So that's a, 
good time for a handoff in a sense to someone who's more, let's, let's call it disciplined and responsible. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and more paying attention to, to what uh, people are, are asking for. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's a good example. Like the other examples I'm thinking of in my head, but it, it's so hard to find ways to apply this in your daily work sometimes. But like, say you like, like to record a lot of screencasts or something and it feels like I got to do it all. I have to be on camera. I have to come up with the content. I got to have final say on like the edit and stuff like that. So yes. you end up doing the whole thing, but you still can find places in there where it's like, well, you know what? Like I can send someone else the raw recording and I can get them to set up the final cut project for me, do all the rough cuts and send it back to me. And I can just work with that. And maybe that saves me two hours of time. You know what I mean? But I'm still doing like the, the work. Yeah. It's not like I've like delegated screencasting or something like that, you know? Well, this is an interesting topic because this is something I'm actually dealing with too. I, I tend to do like the real in-depth walkthrough videos for our products. Like yeah. I did for Hey, it was like a 37 minute walkthrough, yep. which is too long for like a quick introduction video, right? We're currently redesigning the hey.com website right now. And I was talking to Chad, who does our video work. So we need a, I want like a nice tight three minute video. And so what I'm basically doing is I'm, I'm outlining the kinds of things that are on my mind that I want to get across. Uh, and some of them are going to be more in depth and some of them are going to be quick hits. And um, I'm going to give him this outline. And then he's going to produce, he's going to go through and do a screencast, kind of walk through video uh, that's going to be, let's call it three minutes long, present it to me maybe by the end of next week. And then we'll work on it together at that point. So I established the things that are important to me so nothing's missed. Um, or the things that are important to, the, I, I think, not to me, but to explaining the product in a way that I think is the right way to explain the product. Mm -hmm. He's going to go off and do that work. Uh, and then we're going to go through and do a bunch of edits. But he's also ultimately uh, responsible for the final version of this thing. So I kind of point in a direction it's very similar to how we build products. I point in a direction. Here's an idea. The team figures out how to make it happen. We kind of get together as it's going, make sure it's on the right track, tweak if we need to. But ultimately, ultimately it's their responsibility. That said, I'm still going to do a long-form walkthrough of the Hey calendar because I just want to explain it my own way. And it would be like pulling teeth to have someone try to get in my head yeah. to understand how I want this shown. Mm -hmm. So I will show my version of it. But my version of it is not the version most people are going to watch because most people are not going to sit through a 25-minute video. Sure, yeah. You'll get you know? your shot, you know what I mean? And you have your yeah. place where people can see Jason's video. But yeah. maybe on the marketing homepage or whatever, as people are scrolling through, seeing the one-and-a-half-minute walkthroughs of different things it can do, that's... That's right. So, I, 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 you know, I, the answer is, like, in that case, I'm not walking away from, the, from that responsibility but my output is not going to be to refine a 27-minute video and do a three-minute video and with a bunch of edits, and I'm not going to do that work. I'm just going to do the long one in one take because that's how I do those. Mm -hmm. And then Chad is going to produce the real, you know, tight one that, like, a, you know, someone who's coming to the site might spend, you know, a minute and a half or three yeah. minutes watching. Yeah. I'd like to dig into something that you kind of touched on a little bit, which is, like, the idea that hiring people and building the team, like, can create more work for you ultimately, you know, if you don't, if you aren't careful. And, and I feel like that's a thing that's hit me hard. I've had dreams about like, okay, I want to be able to like build a template at the same time that we do this tailwind improvement. And I'd also like to be getting a bunch of screencasts out on the YouTube channel and none of it is able to get like fully delegated. And now I'm just like trying to like follow 
yeah. traffic zipping by my head all the time. And it doesn't feel like I'm, it's actually helping me. Like maybe we are getting more done at the, at the end of the day, but it's that it's creating sort of just a position that isn't satisfying or, or just isn't, certainly isn't less stressful or anything like that. And I think like sort of being stressed and overwhelmed often feels like an initial motivator for hiring. And when you hire and end up more overwhelmed, that feels like a bad outcome, if that makes sense. It is just the outcome though. So I, I think <laughs> um, the, the honest truth is business only gets harder. Yeah, I was gonna say that's, you, you've said that a bunch of times and that, yeah. that really planted for me, honestly. It's it's something that you know you you imagine like okay God I'm in startup mode there's only four of us or six of us and one day we're gonna have thirty and my God once we have thirty we'll have every position we need and and everything's gonna be just rolling and the gears are gonna be turning and I can sit back and just admire this machine I made and the answer is no you've got to oil this and grease that wheel and deal with this issue and there's another thing that you're just creating more more work for the whole company the company's larger there's more surface area there's more gears meshing. There's more things connected. There's more levers bumping into this thing and bumping into that thing. And there's more dependencies and independent, or I should say, yeah, more dependencies. It just gets harder. It's just the nature of, of companies. Now, you can get to the place where, where you'll need to get to is the place where you have to release your grip on a number of things that normally you had a tight grip on. Like I used to do all the HTML, all the CSS for like all of our marketing sites, for most of our product work, and I, I do none of that anymore. Yeah, and my skills have atrophied because of it. Like I can't do that same work anymore. And if or if I did, I could figure it out again, but it'd be slow, and it wouldn't be worth it. Mm-hmm. So I'm now like perched at the higher level, which is more the vision and the the ideas that we want to get across, and then other people are sort of implementing those things. But if I want to keep holding on to that to the building of it as well, then it's going to become untenable. So part of this is recognizing it only gets harder and that you do have to release your grip. You only have two hands. You only have 10 fingers. Like yeah. some, at some point, but not at six. At six, you still got to have your hands on everything. What does getting harder like translate to in terms of like your day-to-day? You know what I mean? Like how, how would you compare like your level of like overwhelm or stress or busyness or whatever to two years ago or three years ago when the company was smaller and you had yeah. fewer customers, whatever? That's a good question. For me, it's about it's speed. It gets harder to move as fast as you used to. So it's not like it's, it's not like the decisions are harder to make or that the work is harder to do. It's that what becomes obvious is that the larger you get, the slower you move. Yeah. And that is hard to internalize and hard to accept. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Like we were just talking about this. We had our company meetup last week in in uh, in Barcelona. We all get together twice a year. And we were sitting around a table talking about base camp projects for the next cycle. Uh, three of us. It was me, Brian, and, and and David. And as we do this, we come up with what we call an appetite, which is, you yeah. know, how long do we want to put into this? And all of our appetites were like like all of our minimums were two weeks. And it, at some point, we're like, wait a second. We used to be able to make stuff like in, in, in an afternoon three hours. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, why? <laughs> like, what happened? Why are we even allowing ourselves to say, like, our minimum is a week or two? <laughs> right? And you're like, what? We have more people than we've ever had, extremely skilled people. 
Um, we have a really good command of what we're doing. We really know what we want to do, but we don't allow ourselves to be willing to say this should only take six hours. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that's the kind of stuff that I think it's hard. What do you think is the reason for that? Like on our side, if I try to pinpoint why things feel slower, I feel like it's just because every new thing you build is just like another thing that you have to consider when you're making like an improvement to something else. So how does that impact that thing that we did before? Or there's just like more dependencies and more, more whatever. Is, is that relatable to you? Like, what do you think the reason is that things are slower? Do you think it's purely just like a mindset of just getting complacent with accepting it? I think it's a number of things. Of course, there are more dependencies, but that's not really, in our world, that's not really what it's about. I think it's um, when you hire more people and you have different people at different levels of experience in the company. Mm -hmm. um, There's certain people who've been here for 12 years who can like work on, they know like in, instinctively, like I can do this in two hours and push it out. Yeah. I don't need to send it through QA. I, I know where the cuts are. I know how to make this tight and get it done and move on. And there's new people who don't have that instinct yet. They just don't have it. And, and then what ends up happening is that if they don't see examples of that happening, then they don't even know it's possible. And then it just becomes the thing that like every, every the shortest project we can do now is a week. Now, there are on-call things that are happening where people are fixing bugs in five minutes and five seconds and, and, or three hours. Like, there's stuff that's happening very fast, but like any planned work, it really feels like it's it's everything's gonna take a week. Yeah. And then David and I are just like, why is this? And it just it, it just becomes pe people don't see what's possible necessarily, and they sort of fall into that pattern, which is like, well, it's gonna take a couple of days to get this going and this going and think about this, and we want to run this by QA, and and there's a week. Before you know it, there's a week yeah. that's gone by. And also, we have different time zones. So you may have a programmer in Europe who's working with a programmer in America. They only have a three-hour overlap. And that wasn't the case maybe five years ago. There were more people in similar time zones, so they had more overlap. So there's just all that kind of stuff. Um, and it just it just compounds because there's more people. There's There's less understanding across teams in terms of who's capable of what because people are at different levels and it's just a lot of, it's just reality. I mean, yeah. everyone we have is really damn good, but it's just also what happens. It's what sure. happens when there's more things churning at once, you know? Um, and then also like you're not really applying the same kind of pressure in, this, in, in the same number of places. Like you can't, Okay. you don't have yeah. as many thumbs to apply pressure. You're like not paying attention to that one project that should have taken two days and now it's on day five. So it kind of just spins a little bit or, yeah. You're like, oh, how'd that happen? Or, my God, like, how did you not see that we should have just done this and done, instead of that? And then we have to unwind this. And it's not really anyone's fault. I mean, if anyone's fault, it's mine, I suspect. But it's not really fault. It's just what happens. Yeah. A bigger organism. It's a, we're a bigger organism. It's just slower. Yeah. There's more. It's, it's like I've always, I think I wrote about this in Getting Real years ago, which is like the more massive an object the more energy it takes to change its direction. That's mm -hmm. like physics. Physics. It's true in business too. And you can try as hard as you want. You cannot overcome that law. So why hire anyone at all ever though then? You know what I mean? If it's only going to yeah. mean moving slower. You know, certainly you have to sort of somehow be moving faster too. <laughs> well, yeah, so we, this, yes, you're right. We move slower 
in some ways and we move faster than others. So we're moving slower, like maybe features take a little bit longer than they should to get done than we would have maybe done five, six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. But we're able to work on four simultaneous products yeah. at once. It's the parallelization is the unlock. That is a huge shift for us. Like as of a, even a few years ago, we'd only work on one thing at a time. Like we'd work on Basecamp and Hay would sit. And then we'd work on Hay and Basecamp would sit. Now we can work on Basecamp, Hay, the Hay calendar, which is a separate product, but it's really one product, but it feels like a separate product. Yeah. And we're building this, our first product for once, which is this new thing we're doing. And eventually, I think next year, we might build three or four more once things when we'll be updating, keeping Hay up to speed and Basecamp up to speed. So that's how we move faster collectively, like globally or macro, I would say. But the micro level, it feels like we're moving slower. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. So that's why. I mean, it just matters like how many things you want to do. Sim do you want to be able to do simultaneously? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does slow you down a little bit. Have you seen um, Patrick Collison maintains a page on his site that's like patrickcollison.com slash fast. And it's just like a list of projects where he's really impressed by how quickly they got done. Yes. It's quite, yes. it's pretty inspiring place to go and poke around when you're feeling like you're moving slow. <laughs> totally. Totally. And yeah, I mean, that, that is the thing is, is like, for example, we just got off the cloud. Um, and initially, we, you know, the, when we first started talking about moving all of our stuff off the cloud to our own data centers, the assumption was it was going to take years for us to do this. Even internally, that was sort of the assumption. It took six months because mm -hmm. we let it take six months. Like that's all it was going to take because we only let it. So it just, you know, work expands to fill the time available. It's the famous, whatever yeah. it was, Parkinson's law. Or It's so true. Um, when you absolutely need to move quickly, like when you really literally need to move quickly, if there's a fire coming, like I always think about this, like what's important to you in your house? Well, if you spent, you could spend a month figuring that out or like the fire's coming and there's 15 minutes and you got to get the hell out of your house. Like, you know what you're going to take. Yeah. You just, you know. And I think that's a big part of this is like, you want to kind of light that fire essentially, sure. but not, you don't want to burn people. You don't want to also like take shortcut, too many shortcuts because then you start to affect quality. But I think there's a lot more room for people. A lot of things could be cut down. Um, and we're, we're working on that internally. So like we kind of had this revelation, like we need to be able to move faster again. This is frustrating. And it, it wasn't like we're moving really slow, but going from like a thing that should take a day to a thing that, should that takes a week, that is a problem. And yeah. we need to make sure we, we get around that. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. It, it's, a lot of it is just like paying attention to how long something is taking or being deliberate about it. Like analogy that came to my mind that like is relevant uh, for me is, I, uh, you know, I, I go to the gym and exercise every day, try and stay in shape. And, um, for the longest time, I wasn't really paying attention to how long my workouts were taking me, but then I decided to just like keep a stopwatch going. And all of a sudden I was getting yep. my workouts done in like half the time because like I set a time that I wanted it to be done by. And all of a sudden you're able to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> you totally, um, that's how it, that's how it really is. Yeah. That's how it is. It's also why like small companies can do a lot of things. Cause you're like, look, we only have six people. Like you guys are doing a ton of work for six people. There's a, you know how many companies out there have a team of six in their company that can't make any progress. Sure. And you guys are making, so, you know, I, I would say, say all the problems you're running into, so many people would trade their problems for yours. Totally. Like you don't really have, sure. the. you're going to always have problems, but what you're actually capable of doing is is remarkable. And, um, and it will only get slower and harder. <laughs> 
lovely. Can't wait. Yeah. Just being honest, <laughs> it can still be enjoyable though. Like it can still be super fun, yeah. but you just have to, you know, recognize that that is the case at some level. Of course, you do have some control over that, but at some point you just have less control over it simply because there's more people, more communication and mm-hmm. less directness. And this is one of the reasons we've kept all of our product teams just the two people each. Yeah. Because once you had a third, someone could be missing that day. If there's two and someone's missing, there's no discussion. But if there's a discussion that happens and one person's missing, someone's got to repeat that discussion again to someone else. Sure. And that's all these little things add up to slow things down and make communication a little bit yeah. less direct. Yeah. Um, for the last like little bit of our call here, I'd love to just kind of switch gears back to a selfishly specific question that I would love your input on, which is that I think like the my biggest struggle with hiring is just like worrying that I'm going to hire the wrong person and that it's not going to work out. Yeah. And I'm sure anyone who's ever hired anyone can relate to that unless you're borderline sociopathic or something. Um, but I would love to just like dig into like how you think about this and maybe like how you've gotten better at it over time and how much of that is improving the process versus just getting more comfortable with the fact that as a business owner, sometimes you have to do shitty hard things and you know, whatever. So we can start anywhere, but Yes, um, we've gotten better at this. This is always challenging. Part of it is, I think it's very important to look at real work before you hire somebody. So we've got a whole process for that. Um, That said, we still make mistakes. Sometimes you bet on someone and you know that it's a bit of a long shot, but there's something in them that you see that you wanna bet on and the bet doesn't pay off and you kinda knew that was gonna maybe happen or as an outcome. The hardest part is like you think you're hiring someone really, really, really good and it just doesn't work out. Now, it might be because they're not the right fit for you or you're not the right fit for them. It's rarely, we found it's really like a skill level thing. It's not really that. There's something else that doesn't fit. Um, What we basically do is we give everybody a year to get to this place where we ask a single question, which is, would we hire them again? Yeah, I've heard you talk about this. And... I think people need about it. Now, sometimes it's very obvious very early that it's not going to work. And if you're too divergent pretty early, you've got to cut the cord early. And that this has happened a few times. And it's just like very clearly not a fit. And everybody knows that there's no surprise. Um, but otherwise, people got to find their footing and they need about a year, I think. And then you just ask that question, knowing what I know now, would I hire this person again? And if the answer is yes, then they, you basically rehire them for the yeah. second year. And if not, at that point, you've got to let them go. You, you cannot go, well, they might, I don't know, like maybe they're, maybe if I, if they had more time, like a year is enough a lot time. Of time. Yeah. It's enough time. And again, like, I think you gotta, you gotta pull the cord quick if it's very clearly not working because you're butting. I think the, the thing I would look for is headbutting. Mm-hmm. If you just if it's not enjoyable to work with this person, they don't enjoy working with you. You don't enjoy working with them. You find yourself having to explain something three times to someone. Like it's the little things where you're like this is actually going to become um, a burden. This person's going to be a burden. The work yeah. style is going to be a burden. It's going to slow us down uh, in a way that's that's not. Um, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. But there's an attitude issue. That you got to cut because that's not going to change, almost certainly. But that's how we do. So it's early and then one year. And then that's it. Two, two things. Like one thing I, I just wanted to like comment on that I, I think is maybe valuable for just people listening is 
before I like started a business, I sort of believed that like when people got let go from a company, it's because they like stole from the cash register or something, did some like specifically horrible thing, you know, that uh, you're fired because you screwed something up. My experience in reality is like what you're saying. It's, it's borderline intangible things where it's just like, this is just not a good relationship and it's not adding to the team and it's making people unhappy and it's hard to, to even give you this like HR approved pinpointed list of things that you've done wrong or whatever. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 yes. And the thing, the thing that's, you know, the truth is, with this stuff, first of all, it's always, always complicated and hard. We're dealing with human beings and people and careers and bills, and it's all hard. Um, and David is better at this than I am. Um, I tend to always want to give someone one more chance, yeah, uh, or one too many chances, perhaps. And he's going to—he's willing to give people one fewer chance. That's just sort of our our thing. But the thing he's really taught me about this is that like you're not doing anyone any favors if you if you keep someone around who's not a good fit. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. They can flourish somewhere else. Yeah, They're skilled and talented uh, and some other company, they'll, they'll find a better fit somewhere else. And so like as hard as it is to let someone go and as hard as it is to be let go and all that, it's not better. Yeah. Um, for most people. Totally. Not always because like, like losing a job sucks and you know all the stuff, but if everyone's struggling, it's just, it's not worth keeping someone around. And, and there's certain kinds of things, this is the intangible, where you're like, this isn't going to change about this person. This is part of who they are and how they work. And it just doesn't line up with how we work. And you've got to find people who line up with how you work. Because if you don't do that, you're always going to be grinding gears. And there, there's been a few people in the past who are extremely talented we've worked with. Um, but their approach just was not, it just would not come around in a way where, we were ever going to be feeling like we're making smooth progress. Yeah. Progress should feel smooth. When I, I'm always look out for grinding gears or things that are, are rough where there shouldn't be, or there's texture or there's resistance where there shouldn't be. I want to get rid of those situations. I want to have smooth things, wheels on wheels versus like gears that aren't, aren't greased. And um, there's always resistance. Everything has resistance. But when there's too much and there's heat there, that's a hard thing to resolve. I think yeah. you just got to be honest about that. Otherwise, you're going to struggle through it. Two questions, I guess. Like, first one yeah. is with this whole hiring people twice, like sort of the one year, ask yourself if you hire the person again question. Um, how How is that sort of like baked into the, the culture at Basecamp in a sense of people, everyone there understanding that that's part of the, the deal? Like I know Netflix, for example, is very transparent about their sort of sports team like culture where like if you join this team like you join it being fully aware that like we might get rid of you because we have the opportunity to put someone better in that role blah blah blah, blah. And, yeah. ev and everyone knows what they're getting themselves into um yeah what's that like for you guys like how much does everyone know like oh i got my one year um review on the yeah. calendar type of thing where i might get let go you know like how concrete is that versus an idea that you're just asking yourself in your head yeah we, we've been we've been trying to get more and more concrete about this because historically we weren't very clear about it and so there there is a during the onboarding process there's like a, a 90 first 90 day review then there's a six month review and then there's a one-year review and that one-year review is known as like 
the real decision point kind of thing. And there's, I should say, there's, there's, com- of course, there's conversations happening all the time with yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You know, look, we always try to say it shouldn't be a surprise. Getting let go always is a surprise to everybody. Yeah. Because it feels like shit and it's not fun, obviously. But there should be conversations. There should be, a pr- people should be self aware enough to have a sense of where they roughly are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and there are these check-in points along the way. And we have a base camp project actually set up for each person sure. when they join. And it kind of has that laid out essentially, like when these things are going to happen. And we have some stuff about it in the handbook and we talk about it, uh, during the hiring process as well. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is specifically the yeah. hiring process. Like when you make an offer to someone, do they know that like, okay, when you start, there's going to be these checkpoints and make sure that like you're comfortable with that, you know, quote inherent, the idea that that's like new risk that's different from joining any other company is obviously a farce. Like if you're not going to work out somewhere, you're going to get let go. You need to just have, yeah. have that in your head. But that's why we don't discuss it during the hiring process. Yeah. Okay. It's like not part of choosing somebody. Yeah. What we talk about during the hiring process is, is choosing someone. That's what we're about trying to find is a match. And we're not talking about how, what the divorce is going to look like if things don't work out. Like there is, there are stages that are clear. Once you're onboarded, here's how it works here. Here's how reviews yeah. work here. Here's your manager. Here's, here's who you report to. Some of that stuff is discussed yeah. during the hiring process, but really we're looking for a match. Yeah. I guess I ask um, it from the, from the yeah. perspective of like wanting to sort of almost like feel less guilty if it doesn't work out because I, at least I prepared the person that to know that like, listen, like I've done everything I can to like believe that you're going to be successful here, but I can't know yeah. for sure until we work together for a while and it might not work out. And, or, but this might just be one of those things that's like you're a business owner. That's a hard thing. And that's just a. Letting people go is hard. It sucks. It's hard. And um, I mean, for some people, I guess maybe it's easy. I don't know. It's not certainly mm-hmm. not for me, um, but what you're what you're describing is you want the other person to know that you're a good person. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. You know, like <laughs> you you demonstrate that you're a good person by working with them with good faith, with with cheering for them, with setting them up to do the best work they can. That's how you identify. Like you don't tell someone you're a good person. Yeah. You you, mm-hmm. you do the things, and then like it's just firing someone feels like you're telling someone you're not a good person. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Anyone you're hiring, unless they're right out of school, has probably like had a job and left or been fired or they've had that experience. Like, there's they're under no illusion. I mean, this is at will employment, and yeah, you know, again, you you want to set people up to have the best outcome. You need to be honest and deliver real, true feedback to them so they have a sense what if they're if they're off the path, how to get back on. It's not at the end, like, hey, I'm a really good guy. You know, this didn't sure. work out. Like, if you're a good guy, you've got to be helping them along the way if they start to veer, yeah. you know? That's how you do it. And then at some point, like, eh. But what you're describing is totally natural. Like, it's, it, yeah. it's, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It will always suck if you care. Last question, if you have if you have time. Do you have, like, sure. 10 minutes? Or you got to wrap up? Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm good. What have you learned that you do now that maybe you didn't always do, or what do you do to really increase the odds of making sure that the person that you're hiring succeeds? You know what I mean? I'll say like from yeah. my perspective, I'm noticing in myself that I tend to almost have rose colored glasses about people. I get excited about people. And I, I've now that I've sort of I've recognized that sometimes I'm like optimistic to a fault, it, it's making me like trust my gut even less because mm-hmm. does that make sense? And I yeah. feel like I need like, 
objective evidence? Like what are the steps that maybe I'm skipping because I'm like, oh, I don't need to do that because I'm so confident that this is going to work out that might actually be like, oh, wait a minute. Like there's a red flag here, a red flag here. Like I was listening to a podcast the other day where people were talking about how important reference checks are. And it's like, you know what? I've never done a reference check on anyone that I've hired. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. we don't tend to do them very often either. I mean, sometimes you do for really critical roles, but I don't know. I don't put a lot of faith in them um, simply because, uh, you know, someone's going to give you references and they're probably going to give you good ones. But you can ask, you can get to some interesting things. Uh, if, you, if you ask non-standard questions, I think you can get to some of that. It's more about clarification around the weaknesses than it is like finding yeah. someone's strengths, I find. But um, I, I think the thing I've, I've learned you have to do more of is, is make your expectations very, very clear and walk people through your thought process. So this is a little bit of a quick story. A friend of mine who runs a business, he was bitching at me at one point because he's like, my damn fucking employees, like, why can't they figure out this thing? I'm not going to name this person. I don't understand how they could have made this decision. How could they not have seen this? Whatever it is, right? And this is just like, you know, business owners talking. Yeah, 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 sure. Why couldn't they think this way? I'm like, well, they're not you. So they, they can't think like you. And he goes, well, how do I get people to think more like me? Like, well, you have to break down your thought process for them. Like, next time you make a big decision... Walk people through it exactly like what, or as much as you can remember, what were you thinking about? What were you thinking not about? <laughs> That's kind of a weird way to say it, but like, what weren't you thinking about? What were you thinking about? What considerations did you make? What almost decisions did you make? Like really try to step through the process so people can see how you think. If you want them to somehow see the business the way you see it, you've got to let them into your head. People cannot just pick up. I mean, over time they can. If you work with someone for 10 years, you'll, through osmosis, yeah. like get some of the stuff. But you can't expect someone three months in or six months in to like make decisions that you would make. Yeah, That's an unreasonable thing to do. So I, I've, I've realized like, so, so what he started to do was once a week, he would break down a decision for his team and show them why he made it. Even if it was sort of inconsequential, mm-hmm. like here's how I thought about this thing. And through that, I don't know how well it's worked. I, we haven't really caught up again, but he's like, I'm going to do this. I have to imagine that more people will go, oh, that's interesting. Or, I hadn't thought about it that way. Now I can start to think this way a little bit yeah. and frame things a little bit differently. So I think that's very, very important because what what tends to happen is the problem you, you're describing is like a mismatch of expectations. Yeah. Like you had this amazing expectation about this person. And by the way, you may have chosen wrong. We've all chosen wrong relationships, coworkers, business partners, that's common. But sometimes it's like, I just expected them to be able to be good at this or to do this. And it's like, well, did you at least give it a shot and like help them see how you see? And often the answer is no, I just expected them to be able to pick it up. Yeah, I expected them to know how we work. It's like, well, you can't really expect that. You gotta show that. The, the other side of that, or at least like, Sometimes like I, th- I think the things that you tell yourself like, oh, I can't believe like this person did this this way. Like I would have done it this way. You almost feel like you don't know how to tell them that you would have done it a different way because if, it almost feels like you have to like talk down to them in your mind because it feels like you're explaining something obvious. And it's like, is it, I, I'm, I almost feel like I'm signaling to you that I don't respect you or something by even explaining this to you, even though I don't think, sure. does that make any sense? Like, yeah, I, I, I see how you could come to that conclusion. I mean, the way I would look at it is I wouldn't, Let's say someone made a decision that you didn't like or whatever, mm-hmm. right? You're like, I would have done this differently. I wouldn't 
critique their decision as much as I would share how you would how you would have approached that situation. Yeah. So like they did something you didn't like, like, hey, this turned out this way. Let me share with you how I would have looked at it. Um, I don't, by the way, there's no counterfactuals here. I don't know if my approach would have been any better than yours in the end. Sure. I don't know this. And I think that's very important to say up front yeah. because it's very easy to be like, well, had I done it and had I thought about it this way, it would have turned out great. We don't know how it would have turned out. All you can offer is here's how I would have approached it differently. Yeah. Or here are the things I would have been thinking about, or here are the points that mattered to me, and here are the things that didn't matter to me, and here's the things I would have focused on, and here's the things I would have ignored, and you just lay it out. But I, I don't think it's fair to go, I would have done it this way, therefore it would have been better, because you don't know how it would have been. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the way to do it. I, I don't really, personally, I, I've never really been a fan of looking backwards at decisions and critiquing them. Yeah. I just... I, I think that you just got to move forward and go, here's how I think we could have handled this differently. And you just don't know how it's going to, how it really would have turned out. Is that helpful? I don't know. Is that, yeah, no, that yeah. is, that is really helpful. I think just like it, it makes it easier to give that sort of feedback, you know, if coming from, if you frame it that way, like, Hey, this, this went a little differently than I expected, like no big deal. Can I just chat with you about how I would have thought about this problem and how I would approach it in case that's helpful for like the next time we come into something similar? Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's not like you fucked up. I mean, it could be because someone could literally do something terrible like that can happen. If that's the case, like, or it's, you know, um, negligent or whatever, like you do need to address that directly. Okay. But in most cases, it's like, ah, it didn't turn out the way I thought it would, or ah, I wouldn't really, yeah. I didn't like the way that was done. Like, okay, like that's a softer thing. And you can say, here's how I would have approached that. Yeah. Um, again, saying like, I don't know how it would have turned out, but here's what I would have done a little bit differently. Yeah. It does feel like there's this kind of gray area where it's hard to sometimes know what is actually just like, didn't do something the way that you would do it. And maybe your way is better. And this person knowing that way would have done it that way versus like what actually feels like just legitimately poor judgment that doesn't feel yes. fixable or something. Cause I do feel like judgment is something that I really want to look for in people, but I don't know how to assess it upfront. So that is a great, so I'll tell you how I assess this ahead of time um, or the be best way I know how. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is a really good point. I'm glad you, you hit on this scene here. Judgment is it's never a skill in your resume. It's never a bullet point, really. But it is so critically important. I want to be able to trust someone's judgment. Um, and that's something you can only do, I think, over a certain degree of time. It can't be an individual decision. You get like three or four or five things. Now I have a sense of their judgment. It's, a, it's an average. It's a moving average. You need some time under tension to really figure that out. But what I tend to do is, before hiring someone, I like to ask them, about other things that they think are good in the world, uh, or products. Let's just say, not like feeding people who need sure, food. Sure, of course, sure, is good. Sure. Like, you know, like like what else do you think is good? Who's doing good work out there? It's something I always ask. Like, I care a little bit less about. I, I need to care about their own work, but I'm like, who's doing good work and why? Who have you seen that's doing good work and why? And through that, I have a sense of their taste and their judgment about. And then I ask them like, why do you think that's good? Um, and, and then I'll ask, also say, like, who do you think's not living up to their potential? Like, what companies out there do you wish you could be running? Or, or, or which apps out there or whatever would be relevant in their world? Like, 
what would you do with this company? If you were able to run this thing or this product, what would you do? Or what's missing? Yeah. Um, and then you just, you know, there's no right answers here, but you get a sense of where someone's coming from yeah. and the pers perspective they bring. I found that to be very, very helpful. And what do they value and does it align with you? And if someone says like, oh, if I was this company, I would put all our resources into fixing this one thing. And if you hear that and you're like, oh, well, I kind of agree with their strategy and I don't think yeah. that's important. That's like, I'm glad I know that now, you know? Exactly. That, so that's a good technique. The other thing that was interesting is when we were hiring our, our head of marketing, um, we interviewed, I don't know, a dozen people. And I would always ask, like, who's doing good marketing out there? And almost everyone to a fault said that like the same two companies. And that was a turnoff for me. They're all like liquid death, yeah. which is, is doing really well, sure. obviously. But the fact that everyone used the same example, it bored me. I looked, I mean, I, I was, and someone's like, Patagonia. Like, yeah, okay. I was curious, I don't remember what these examples were now, but I was, whenever I heard something that was different, I was, I was like, I like this person. Yeah, this person's paying attention to something, right? Like They're not just following like, what's the hot marketing thing of the day, yeah. but like, oh, that's actually clever. I'd never seen that company, and wow, that is pretty interesting. And, and they're just, they have a, they have a finer brush um, it, it versus like, you know, the big thick one that everyone's painting with. I, I just, for me at least, I like that kind of thinking. Uh, and that is to some degree, it's not really judgment. It's just a, another quality of like curiosity and what are people paying attention to and what details do they pick up and what is their antenna tuned into. Yeah. That kind of stuff is important, I think, to get into in a job interview. That's really good. No, that's a really helpful yeah. one. Um, yeah. When you're reviewing someone's work, how do you know when to treat something as like a signal that, oh, this they're probably not the right fit versus like, uh, that's probably just something they just kind of missed. And if they were working here, I'm sure like they wouldn't do that and it would be fine. So when I ask, when we ask someone to do a project for us, they'll, they'll have a week to do something. And so I know that like a week is not enough time to do kind of what we're asking them to do yeah. intentionally. Um, so then I'm curious about what they chose to do with their time and they'll present something and I almost don't even care in a sense what it looks like. I do to some degree, but really I'm curious about how they take feedback and I'll poke at things, even if I like them, I'll poke at them and go, why'd you do it this way? Or this seems a little bit tricky to me or confusing or whatever. And I kind of want to see for me, what I'm curious about is not what they left it out or what they did, but how they're able to react on the spot. So there's been a number of people we've interviewed and this is a real separator for me where on that last moment, I'm looking through their work and we're having a discussion about it one-on-one. -on -one, and it's like deer in the headlights. Like they can't riff on the spot. They, they don't, like I'll say like, what's another way you could have handled this? Or if you had another question I'll often ask is like, if you had three more days, how would this be different? And if they just can't even find their way to an answer, that's a red flag for me. Yeah. Regardless of what the work was, I want to see someone roll with their own work and, and know it's a work in progress and be able to think on, on their feet about what it could be and what it could become and things they didn't like. I also like when people go, you know, I don't really love the way I did this, but I, I, here's why I did it this way. Here's why I chose to focus on this, even though this is probably more important, but this is what I was thinking about. Had I had more time, I would have done, like, those are the kind of answers I love yeah. um, versus like, this is what I did and, um, you know, just kind of this flat, uh, shallow, presentation of the work. 
Um, so it's always in the poking and the prodding where, where you find, to me, where you find the, both the red flags and the green flags. So it's not just, yeah, yeah, got it. Do you, it's not the end product. It's not the final product. It's the, it, it, it's, it's where their mind is. Do you do the same sort of process for engineering hires too? Like, like a, a real time review with the candidate of their work? Uh, yeah, I don't. Not you, but as a, uh, as a company. But, yeah. Uh, so there's something similar. Uh, I have not sat in on one of those, so I can't speak uh, with authority on exactly how those conversations mm. go. Um, but there are code. There's code written, and there's code reviewed, and there's discussions around Got it. Got it. My on the design side, my my interest is is again more uh, of their. I want to understand who they are, and I want to understand their mind mm-hmm. uh, and what they're thinking about. Obviously, if they've gotten to the last phase of this, you know, that we, we 1,800 applicants and there's five left, yeah. like visually they're able to do good work. We already know that basically, but it's the, it's the intangibles that you spoke about earlier that you want to kind of somehow in a one hour conversation, get to as many of those as you possibly can. When you get like, you know, hundreds of applications for a role, how many people do you filter that down to, to talk to? And then how many people of those do you end up giving a paid test project to? Typically, yeah, it's usually about um, we we narrow it down to about ten ish before we really start to get in with them. Yeah, and then it's typically five ish. So is that um, ten like screening calls, or is there screening calls with a larger group? Yeah, so we get, we get we get all these applications. Like half of them, or actually probably like eighty percent, you just can throw out because. They either don't follow the directions yeah. or they're clearly just not qualified, which is sure. fine. Yeah. Um, so you end up with a, a couple hundred. Uh, and then there's a process where a few of us go through those and sort of rank them in terms of like interest, not like skill. or It's just like eh, there's something interesting here and there's something interesting here. And then um, there's often a couple of pre- uh, maybe one or two calls with a group of maybe up to up to 10 to 20 perhaps. Yeah. Sometimes it de- sort of depends. But really, it gets down to about ten, uh, and then there's some more back and forth, and then it's really five. It's like these are the five finalists we really want to see gotcha. their work. Yeah, I don't want to see the work from the other people. There's something else that wasn't quite right yeah. there, so it's usually five for us. And with any luck, like out of the five people that stood out, yeah, hopefully one of them is. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind is, out of those thousand that applied, you probably threw out. 50 incredible people yeah, that you just really missed. really noticing. That would have been better. There might have been someone better in the 50 that you threw out than the five. You just don't ever know. So you can't beat yourself up over that. But you have to realize you're letting incredible people slip through your fingers. There's just no other way about yeah. that. You're never going to quite get to it. Maybe they didn't present quite, quite right in the application process or something. But there's no other way. You can't really review you know, hundreds of people in detail. Yeah. No. Great. Yeah. Awesome, man. Dude, this has been a wonderful conversation. Really helpful. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, That tip that you gave on trying to get, assess people's judgment or taste, that I think is going to be the the big thing that hits with me, at least from this conversation. That's changed the way that I'm thinking about some of the hiring that we're going to be doing. So, um, well, if just one thing, one great thing comes out of an hour, it's great. 100%. Like, I mean, there was tons of great things, to be clear. But that's the thing that I'm like, <sighs> if there's one big takeaway, that's plenty. Yeah. Like everyone's like, I need eight take one great takeaway. If it's useful, is 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 worth a conversation. Yeah. So I hope I'm glad that was Absolutely. useful. And I hope it helps. Yeah. Thanks again, dude. I really appreciate it. Um, Anytime. Yeah.
was was a pleasure. Keep it up, man. We love what you're doing. Thank you so much. I really doing. appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Take care. See you, Adam. Bye.